Hello, and welcome to another episode of AI and the Future of Work, the podcast where we discuss the future of work with entrepreneurs, CXOs, venture capitalists, and journalists. This is your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of Insight Finder, the AI-first system of intelligence for IT operations, and executive chairman of PeopleRain, the leading platform for automating IT and HR employee service. Last week, we learned from Greg Poirier, New Relic architect, about the art and science of observability. The future of work is dependent on the unsung heroes who keep the apps we love working. Think of Greg and Greg's world of monitoring and service assurance as being the connective tissue of modern apps, fusing the heart that is front office service delivery with the brain that is the apps that deliver value to end customers. The theme that spans all the conversations we have on this podcast is that technology experiences are first and foremost human experiences. The only metric that matters is customer value. We scoreboard our performance with metrics like MTTR or mean time to resolve, but really they're all just proxies for the degree to which our digital services make life better for the human on the other end of the trouble ticket. I had a chance to be interviewed recently by David Wright, head of business development at SDI, the Service Desk Institute. David and I waxed poetic about the future of humans, the future of work, and the future of service. I enjoyed those discussions so much that we're bringing them to you this week as an episode of AI and the Future of Work. David's a fellow geek, He's also passionate about the customer journey. I think you'll enjoy hearing how he thinks about customer support and the era of AI just as much as I enjoyed recording these conversations with him. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to another SDI Coffee Break. And hopefully you've seen some of these before. If you haven't, well, they're designed as informal chats um, about all things service management, all things technology, especially today's actually service desk and support as well and a chance for our community to come together um, to grab a coffee and listen to some hopefully some really interesting stuff and learn some stuff as well um, and today we're joined by Dan Turchin um, and Dan is the CEO at People Ring and Dan describes himself as an entrepreneur, a CEO, a board member and investor. Very impressive resume if you want to go on LinkedIn and check out Dan's resume it's, it's incredible really it includes uh, founding a number of organizations which is amazing along with them um, working at BMC and ServiceNow as well. Uh, and Dan has a huge amount of product uh, development experience and amongst other things, is also a member of the Forbes Technology Council. And Dan is pretty much Mr. AI, I think it's fair to say. Dan, I don't know if, I don't know if that's a good description or not, or if that's a good opening. But um, welcome, Dan, and it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. David and SDI team, glad, glad to be here. Everything in my bio is correct, but I can't say that uh, I've, I've had the idea for uh, Twitch a decade before Twitch existed. So, uh, so, so I'm, here, I'm here to make sure your listeners are aware of, uh, of, of how accomplished their host is. Don't start me off on that. <laughs> Don't start me off on that, because I'll be here all day. But it's great, thank you for joining us. Now, so in the next few videos, what are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna have a series of videos talking about artificial intelligence. What that is, yeah? It's a huge subject, a very broad subject. Um, and what we're hoping to do is demystify some of that. We're going to talk 
maybe in one-on-one -on -one layman terms initially and move into some more complicated stuff. So it's about demystifying, it's about how it works, what it is, and also the application of all this stuff when it comes down to service management and support as well. What it means for us in the future uh, and what it means for service management in the future too. Now, again, if anybody's seen some of these, we start with getting to know the guys that we're speaking with. And um, uh, we do that by asking some quick fire questions, Dan. So I'm hoping you'll be okay if I, if I ask you some quick fire questions and hopefully you can answer them relatively quickly without thinking too much and that'll give us an idea of who you are. Is that okay? Absolutely. Good, okay. First of a number, Godfather or Star Wars? Star Wars. Book or ebook? The courage to be disliked. The courage to be disliked. It's a wonderful read. I'll, uh, sorry, okay. I'll say that one again, right? <laughs> book as in paper book or ebook as in digital book. Sorry, I was picking. The, oh, so first, first I'll say ebook. Yeah. And then okay. within the ebook library, the courage to be disliked. I, I yeah. now understand why you're, uh, yeah, I understand your reaction. Good. No, I, 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 we've got more than we bargained for, I think, in that one. That's, that's brilliant. That's value. This is more value, you know? Um, okay, rural or urban? Urban. Numbers or letters? Numbers. Ah, I thought that would be pretty obvious, but I thought I'd throw it in there. Dog. That was an easy one. <laughs> Dog or cat? Neither. No way. <laughs> wow, man. Gecko lizard. Gecko lizard. Okay, okay. PC or Mac? Mac. Carnivore or vegan? Vegan. Wow, okay. Money or fame? Money. Blue or red? Blue. Detailed or abstract? Abstract. Yeah, it's a lot of, we speak a lot of abstract people. Fiction or non-fiction? Non-fiction. Yeah, okay. Last but one. I shrugged my shoulders there. That was a, that's a tough one. Well, that's, that's, that's the one I, I was expecting. You know what I mean? Well, maybe, maybe I wasn't actually. Maybe I wasn't. Last one, 49ers or Raiders? 49ers. Ah, and that is, is that because you're in San Francisco? It's because I grew up in San Diego hating the Raiders. <laughs> that's a great answer. That's a great answer. So we've learned an awful lot there, hopefully, in a very quick, uh, in quick fashion. So we're going we're gonna to draw close to this one. Thank you very much indeed. Hi and welcome back to SDI Coffee Break. Again, we're with Dan Tuchin from People Rain. Hi, Dan. Hey there, David. Good to be here. Thank you for joining us. I, I didn't see, I don't know if you saw my, my coffee uh, cup. I've not seen yours. So I don't know, at some point, either during this one, we might not record, maybe after, maybe with you getting coffee, because we're getting some deep territory now, Dan, I think it's fair to say. Some stuff that's, uh, that's hopefully... Um, making our listeners understand a little bit more, that one-on-one, that demystification of, of AI. One thing I wanted to talk about uh, off, on the back of the last one, which was a great story you mentioned, was, was the, the benefits, the perceived benefits, the actual benefits, and maybe some of the drawbacks, maybe some of the, the pros and cons of this type of technology and, uh, and being adopted in, in, a, in a service environment. So let's maybe focus on some of those. And if somebody had asked me, uh, in, as a practitioner, what was the one thing I, I would have, uh, what was my biggest problem, my biggest issue, the one thing I wanted to mend, fix? And, and that was always mitigating human error. It's always trying to stop human error before it happened. Human error through not following a process properly. Human error because the person didn't have the knowledge. Human error because the wrong decision was made. And that was always something for me that was the root of everything that tended to be wrong 
It was always that come, came down to human error. So let's talk about the, the benefits of AI. And I'm assuming that mitigating human, human error, based on what we said, is a primary benefit of AI, along with things like efficiency, along with things like um, precision and accuracy. Are they, are they things that we, we get from it? Are, are machines better at that than, than us? I'll go through a couple examples that I think are the best way to answer your question. I'll try to focus it on things that are probably relevant to your, yeah. to your audience. Um, so one common use case, it's not so much mitigating the risk of human error, it's improving the customer experience. Mm -hmm. So as a service provider, um, if I can say, automate the 50 to 60% of the requests that historically were dependent on a live agent in a call center, then I do two things. One, I reduce the downtime for that employee. And let's take kind of the canonical example is the password reset. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, I need a guest on the Wi-Fi network. Uh, you know, I need to update my, my profile in the payroll system. These are the things that gum up the inbox. And the unfortunate thing is that during the time when the live agent, your most expensive, most valuable resource is resetting passwords, think about what they're not doing, right? And so on the front end, it's delivering a better experience. It's a zero downtime experience for common requests. And AI is great at doing that. It can identify the pattern, things that happen frequently. And oftentimes it's a, ironically, a much more human-like, a much better experience have your password uh, assisted or the, the reset of your password assisted by a virtual agent. Now, on the other side, um, what, we, what we're always trying to do with AI-driven automation is make humans the best versions of themselves. And again, that sounds ironic because we're using artificial intelligence or what I refer to as augmented intelligence, essentially to make humans better. And an example of that is any question that's not a good fit for the virtual agent you want to make sure the virtual agent is trained to quote, know what it doesn't know and do a seamless handoff to a live agent where the live agent is then assisted by AI in navigating through the issues. So you think about one use case, um, making sure that the task gets routed to the most appropriate agent based on their skill level or based on their work queue or based on their language uh, capabilities. And then a second use case is once that task gets assigned to the right resource, instead of say languishing in a queue, you know, maybe for hours, it's like what I shared about my friend Yvonne, it's now helping the agent to, you know, reduce the, the uncertainty, the, the guesswork, you know, the, uh, the stuff that can lead to, uh, you know, a low, what we call FCR, first call resolution rate, now it will be very, very high, because the first time you're going to be partnered with that AI driven recommendation system to be able to make sure you deliver the right answer the first time you get the task into the right queue the first time that's streamlining the process making the process better for the end user making the process better for the service desk agent that's the present of ai yeah and and, and i think again you know you if you, if you think about what that means in an assistive sense i mean I, when, I, when i when this when this sort of thing started to break so what what probably for me this thing in service management sense, you know, we started to see organizations start to harness robotic process automation, using automation, stuff like that. And then we saw organizations, um, one that was based in, at the time, UK organization in Romania, bringing in an avatar, bringing in a, um, yeah, a virtual agent. 
and, and I remember this thing started to break and there was a lot of hype. There still is a lot of hype. But I was, you know, I was, I was my, my primary feeling was, my God, this is what we've been waiting for. In, 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 in IT support, in the service desk, this is what we've been waiting for for years, for years. And when you're absolutely right, when you take away that 60, 70, 80% of, of, of demand for password resets that are manually reset, that, is, that may some of them have 100%, 100% SLA that you, know, you need an infinite team to, to, to resolve if you've got a fire alarm. This is, this is the type of thing, this type of stuff is, is what we've been waiting for forever. So it's really interesting. Now, does it come though? Does it come though? And I think the answer is yes. Does it come with a, another side? Does it come with challenges? Does it come with you know, that pros and cons thing? I read a lot about at the minute about reskilling, the need to reskilling in organisations to bring this type of stuff in, uh, the stuff around information around the availability of, of data, the quality of the data, um, the, the the sort of the displacement of skills as well. So, what do you think are the drawbacks? Uh, not the drawbacks, wrong word. What do you think are the the challenges organisations are going to have to face as they adopt some of this stuff? Yeah, I'd consider them more caught impediments, road bumps. Yeah. Rather than yeah. Uh, yeah. rather than challenges or obstacles, and so I mean, you hit on the two two key ones. One key challenge for organizations is adoption. Mm -hmm. So there are cultural impediments to success. So oftentimes, uh, what we'll think of as a technology project is really about cultural tr transformation. So you want to think about things like how do you reward adoption, and how do you provide that safety net so that no employee ever feels like they're penalized because of the introduction of a virtual agent. It's only net positive, right? They're always, you know, a button click or, you know, uh, uh, you know an, an ask away from being seamlessly handed over to a live agent. That's the way you accelerate adoption. And then the second one, um, we'll call it a technical impediment, but really to the point you made, it's more about data hygiene. And we don't often think about, you know, we're here, we're trying to demystify AI, but all AI problems are data problems. And what I mean by that is the system is only as intelligent or it will only seem as intelligent as the data is high quality. So it comes from everything from making sure the data is consistent. If, for example, uh, you know, a telephony support request, half the time it was routed to Dublin, Ireland, and half the time it was routed to Seattle, Washington in the past, then without some kind of active learning or annotation of the historical data, you're asking the AI algorithm to guess. You don't need to have the AI algorithm guess, you just need consistent data. Yeah. Another thing is thinking about where does the data live? How do I get to it? An important concept that I wanna make sure we, we, we bring up and even in these short clips that we're doing is recognizing if there's inherent bias in the data. That was my next question. Yeah. That was my next question, because there's a lot of talk about that. If anything, it keeps coming back for me when I've seen stuff, is, is, is to that, is almost the, the frailty of the people who are making the AI, AI rather than the AI itself. Does that make sense? So yeah, let's, go, let's, go, let's do that bias thing. Let's get that out of the way. Critical concept, and I'll give you an example of how subtle mm. biased data can lead to biased decision-making. Um, this is this is a scratching below the surface of the kind of gender bias or race-based mm -hmm. bias that you read about in the headlines. Yeah. Um, at People Rain, we automate the resolution of service requests. And it turned out that we had trained an AI algorithm, a model, on some data 
that was likely to assign a certain kind of request in a certain region to a very large, a global service provider. Mm. And in so doing, route these requests around regional providers with the same skill set. So People Rain was very unintentionally training the model that when this particular kind of task was performed by large co, it was working because either large co or small co could fulfill the task. Mm. But because the data said it should be routed to large co because small co wasn't represented in the data set, we were unintentionally training a model to bias this particular task against the local potentially, you know, minority owned, uh, you know, maybe female owned businesses. And that was not through any, you know, intention of the developer of the algorithm. And it certainly, you know, was not something that was happening by design. But if you let that biased data persist in making biased decisions, then part of what happens is the algorithm learns over time based on feedback gets about whether or not its recommendation or prediction was successful. And it perpetuates this bias. Now, um, obviously, if you extrapolate that out into other use cases, this can become very dangerous when you're thinking about, you know, whether or not a uh, convicted criminal, you know, what their what their sentencing should be, or, you know, should, uh, should a mother be able to, you know, have custody over her kids under certain circumstances, the, the implications are, are very significant. And, and, you know, again, appreciate you letting me uh, get on a soapbox a bit, but I think it's really important to think about data consistency, data quality, and data bias that's inherent in the decisions that end up getting made by AI. Yeah. And is, is, there a, is there a sort of foolproof way to, to build that into um, the development of AI? Is there a, a methodology to, to sort of pull bias out? One of my passion projects is making sure that every vendor of an AI first solution is call it scored. They get a scorecard on the quality of the AI based decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether there's kind of regulatory frameworks that get developed or maybe, you know, third party bodies, but I think just like, you know, a restaurant gets a quality score. Yeah. Probably don't want to go, well, now under the pandemic, this is you know, a weird one, but you don't want to have dinner at a place that's a grade C. You want to focus on the grade A's. Likewise, you know, th these independent bodies will evaluate, you know, humans evaluating the, the, the quality of these predictions. I think, um, that, you know, this is a problem that is being perpetuated by machines, but the solution involves humans and we're going to create a ton of new jobs by really um, committing to responsible AI. And responsibility and ethics as well in relation to that. So, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm, a, if I'm an organization maybe, or, a, or, or, or an owner, a leader in an organization that is going after the quick back first over a really good outcome, man, this, 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 you know, this, and this, I don't know whether this perpetuates, I'm not close enough to the industry to, to know that this kind of stuff perpetuates the, neg the negative uh, connotation of AI, if it continually does that. You know, but I think you're right. It's it's very very interesting, isn't it? That that sort of thing. The mic. I was thinking when we talked the Microsoft. Uh, hey. Yeah. Wow. I followed that when it came out and and couldn't believe how quickly that that just tumbled. Couldn't believe it. I don't know. If, I don't know if we're gonna probably. I'm gonna have time to go into it now. But that was incredible. 
how quickly it tumbled just because it's of the way yeah, which the worst, being... the worst version of hate because it could yeah. be uh, it could be manipulated. And yeah. That's good. Good example. Crazy. Good. Okay. We're going to close on that positive note. <laughs> Maybe in this one, right? Um, and catch up in the next one where we'll, we'll expand on some of this again. And I think we'll talk about in the next one, you know, what it really does mean for, for a service test. What, what do you mean over the next two, three, four years for people working in the service desk right now? Hi, and welcome back to SCI Coffee Break. Again, we're with Dan Churchin from People Rain. Hi, Dan. Good to be here. Hey, David. Great to have you. No coffee, Dan. Didn't see coffee. Earl Grey. <laughs> was it tea? Was it? Did you? I didn't. If you drank, if you had a tea, it'd be t- you, that must have been a fast cup of tea. But I haven't seen a cup of tea. So if you want one, you can get one, or we'll just crack on. Well, it's it's beer o'clock for you. It's, it's tea time for me. So I, I'm, I'm waiting to see the pint glass there. Yeah, and you think, if you think of that algorithm, right, being developed right, <laughs> right here, you know what I mean? Wow, man, wow. That's good. Anyway, good. So let's, let's, let's maybe, we'll probably finish on this round uh, of, of vlogs maybe here. Um, uh, and, and I think, you know, you mentioned when we talked, I, I say this is a teaser and do more stuff, right? Because this is an evolving story. It's going to be with us for a long time. So I think this is just a, an, open, an opening door. Right. Um, let's let's talk about how this AI technology is going to affect and impact and change what service desk is. We talked about it, didn't we, in the last one? You know, I, I've been waiting for this for years. This, this really, honestly, but for years to see how this changes what, what we are as a proposition. The move away from that brick fix reactive into something else. Right. How do you think it's going to change the service desk as a proposition over the next two, three, four, five years? It is changing the service desk as we speak, organizations are starting to realize that all of the ability to make good decisions is locked up in historical data. It's locked up in knowledge content. It's locked up in historical emails. It's locked up in chat transcripts. And this idea to be able to turn all of that kind of latent knowledge, collecting dust in a, in a virtual cupboard somewhere to extract the best answers, and at the moment of truth, when an employee needs help to be able to bring the best answers to bear in the form of you know, a pop-up, you know, a quick suggestion, a recommendation, I referred to earlier as a treasure map mm-hmm. for the agent, the live agent, so that the live agent can be assisted by technology, but so that they can do what live agents do best, which is empathize, mm-hmm. exercise rational judgment, be a thinker, care about the employee's problem. That's the fusion of humans and machines that is happening right now and you're going to see accelerate in the coming years. Well, I think what interests me, you know, when, when you're working in a service desk environment and, you know, I, I've spoken to many guys, know many guys that have been in there for years. They love doing it. And it's a great place to work. It's not the easiest place to work. We know that. It's a tough place to work. But it can be a very rewarding place to work. So we know what, you know, we know that the infrastructure, we've got our own sort of uh, knowledge that we've stored in our own knowledge encyclopedia. We've got knowledge that's shared. We've got tools. We've got processes. We know ICL, right? Um, if I'm that guy that's been there for maybe 10, 15, 20 years in that role, how, what am I going to have to do to adapt to this new environment? Am, am, I, am I, for all intents and purposes, the old, the old or, 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 or will I be able to adapt to, to what's coming? What's here, maybe? 
history tells a consistent story. It's that uh, as workers, we don't want to be on the wrong side of technology. And uh, whether it's, you know, the 18th century and the, the Luddites, the machine breakers in, uh, you know, started in England and the Midlands, it's true. Um, or, you know, call it uh, when mass production happened, you know, the rise of factories and the automobile industry, or when desktop computing uh, started to replace, you know, the, the client server pattern, or when cloud disrupted on-prem or mobile disrupted, you know, traditional PCs. These are all cataclysmic technology shifts. And anyone, certainly any employee who felt like, it's not for me, you know, that, that's technology that, that I'm scared of. Um, quickly learned that that's, it's not the side of history you want to be on. And so similarly, you know, I'd say the most progressive, most successful organizations and service desk agents are the ones that are embracing kind of, you know, call it, you know, the fourth industrial revolution. You know, we don't, we don't look up facts in a, in a paper encyclopedia anymore because we have Wikipedia and we have Alexa and Siri and we have better tools. So likewise, when we're assisting customers in the resolution of common IT, HR, et cetera, kinds of issues, the smart service desk agents are realizing that they want to be augmented by some of these new technologies. Yeah. I think for some, it'll probably be quite that releasing, relinquishing some of that control around their knowledge is going to be tough. I've seen that without this technology. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And certainly, you know, if you look at SDI specifically, we're sort of there to, to, to try and make that happen more effectively and that transition easier as well. This is why we're doing this type of stuff then, right? It's interesting as well. When I was looking at this before to do some presentation, I just looked at some jobs that had gone. You mentioned the last century and stuff. I looked at some of the jobs that had disappeared. And it's amazing how technology has changed jobs. Now, jobs have changed and people have reskilled. There was one there, there was one something in the UK called a knocker-upper, right? And the knocker-upper used to work uh, as somebody who woke people up to go to the mills. To go to, yeah, they would tap on the windows to wake people up to go to work. And what happened? They invented the alarm clock. You know, and, and, and there's, there's a whole host of these jobs that have changed. You know, the, the move away from, you know, as you said, into um, the combustion engine, Model T Ford, the move from skills from a farrier, somebody who looked after horses, reshoot, into the skills from a mechanic. And I think that these, these, these things are transferable. Um, the reskilling program, and I, I'm big on the responsibility, not of organizations, of governments. It's a global responsibility reskilling. I'm really big on that agenda. And organizations like us as well to make sure that there is a clear, an absolutely clear definition of what skills are required and what you need to be part of that. I do a lot of research, a lot of digging into what, what some people term softer skills. And when you think of soft skills, you think of empathy, you think of, you know, politeness, you think, and it is, but it isn't as well, you know, when you think of creativity, the, the amount of room that this technology can, can help uh, when, when people are thinking about problem-solving skills, creativity, or relationship management. And, and, I, and I see personally, really see that as, as seismic shift away from the last industrial revolution, the industrialized sort of factory uh, and the control and the governance of what you are, what you do, um, and how we will judge you on what you do to something else, you know. So I cannot wait for this to become that pervasive thing you mentioned earlier. I can't wait. Dan, I think we're going to close on that one.
if that's okay. Is there anything that you want to bring up maybe that we haven't covered off in these sessions? I don't know, something, something amazing. What do you do? What are you doing in People Ring right now? What are you doing with some of the stuff you're doing? How is that? How, is, it, how is everything you know changing, changing the next generation of, of service? So we're committed to making sure that we're a good, a good steward of some of the things that we've been talking about today. We practice responsible AI. We want to see every organization benefit from AI. We really want to see every employee and every service desk agent be benefited by the augmentation of their intelligence. Uh, we, we do feel strongly that now and into the future, what can be predicted is best left to machines, but anything that requires intuition or judgment is and always will be better left to humans. So we're incredibly optimistic about the path forward for technology because we think it's going to make us all the best versions of humans that we can be. That's really the philosophy behind people reign. Technology is great, but people do and always will reign like the reign of a queen. Yeah. And I think that is superb. I think the stewardship stuff, we, you know, since we've met and talked, man, we, we talk a very similar language, right? And I, I'm going to, although I'm recording, I'm going to send you a, a blog I wrote about some of that in relation to stewardship yeah. and customer service, right? And I'd like your feedback as well. Um, and I think, I think augmented intelligence makes so much more sense than artificial intelligence. It just makes so much more I sense. I love that you brought up reskilling. So that's a passion yeah. of mine. And yeah. I think it starts with elementary education, STEM education. Yeah. Yeah, I really think you know a lot of what we teach kids in schools is antiquated. Yeah, and no, I and, totally agree. The structures, yeah. the structures, ancient. I was talking about this yesterday. The structure is absolutely ancient, and I think if if we're in a situation where this this makes us more agile, more faster, we yeah. need to, we need skills and new skills in different ways. You know, but it's been great. Thank you, Dan. Really this appreciate. Great. It. I, I really enjoyed it. You did a good job of keeping it interesting. It wasn't, you know, I want to make sure it wasn't an advertisement and it no, wasn't just something, yeah, you know, you can read from a data sheet. I think we got, we started the discussion about the things that people really should be considering. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's more to come as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing yeah, some of that. It's fun. To our listeners as well for listening. Um, Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Goodbye. 